be taking her driver's test, right? Um, some of you have said something to me about that, and Jenna, after the service, said, Dad, why did you tell everybody I was going to be taking my driver's test? What if I don't pass it, Dad? And I thought, I wasn't thinking about that, so... Um, well, just for those of you who have been asking, who have been wanting to know, she got her driver's license, all right? <laughs> so um, I asked her if I could show that picture, and she said, yes, Dad, you can show it. All right. <laughs> kingdom living. Here we are, still kingdom living. You should be getting it by now, the things that we've been trying to talk about. Often Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. Not some far off distant kingdom, but the kingdom that he came to bring in while he was here. The kingdom that he ushered. And we are his kingdom citizens. And several years, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood on a mountainside. He still stood on a hillside. And he preached the Beatitudes, and he basically was telling them, or anybody who wanted to be a citizen, this is what it's like to be in my kingdom. This is what it's like if you want to be a citizen, if you want to be one of my subjects, if you want to follow me, I'm about ready to tell you what it means. And we've been on a journey for several weeks now. Several Beatitudes. The next today is Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. There was a politician from the D.C. area that was needing to update his pictures and the the promotions and everything that politicians do. And so he had some pictures taken. And when he received the proofs back, he was pretty upset. He did not like how he looked in these pictures. So he called up the photographer to complain, and he said, these pictures do not do me justice. To which the photographer replied, justice, with a face like that, you need mercy. (laughs) Definition of mercy is this. Compassion or forgiveness shown to someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Compassion or forgiveness shown to someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Mercy, if you think about it, it can be a rather humbling word. And a rather humbling concept, but I would venture to say that all of us in here this morning, at some point in time in our life, have needed mercy, haven't we? Whether it be from an angry boss or whether it be from an upset spouse, we've all needed mercy. And if you think about it, Sometimes it's more difficult to give mercy than it is to receive mercy. Yet here Jesus is telling us that without mercy, without giving mercy, one cannot receive mercy. I want to attack this word mercy from two standpoints this morning. The first one, I want us to look at the Hebrew word for mercy is Chesed. I think that's how you say it. You wouldn't know if I was right or wrong, so we'll just say it's chesed, all right? 
That, that is the Hebrew word for mercy. And as I dove into this, it's very interesting what it means. The word in Hebrew for mercy is chesed, and what it actually means is to sympathize. Okay, we can understand that. But in this sense, it's the kind of mercy and it's the kind of sympathy that drives one to take action. It changes how one behaves. So here is Jesus on the mountainside saying, Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are you who so sympathize that it changes your actions. That it determines and it even dictates what you do. Not long ago we were in Columbus and we were driving around the eastern area and uh, there was a car in front of us and in the back window there was a note or not a note, but they had uh, this sign in their back window that said, My son needs a kidney. Blood type is A positive, and then underneath that it gave the phone number. We were heartbroken when we saw that. Here is someone so desperate for their son and who wouldn't do the same type thing, but so desperate that they were willing to advertise that we just need help. And as we drove in the car, our hearts just broke, and we sympathized, but not to the point of action. What I believe Jesus was describing here, based on the different interpretations, based on the meaning of the Hebrew word, based on what it means to sympathize, what I believe Jesus was describing was something more than just feeling sorry for someone, or just feeling bad for someone going through a difficulty. It seems as though Jesus is saying, when you can see what someone else sees, when you can think what they think, when you can get into their skin and feel what they feel, then you're beginning to show the kind of mercy. You'll begin to sympathize in the way that I'm describing here. This demands more than just an emotional move inside of us. It demands a deliberate effort on one's mind and one's will. And really this whole thing of mercy in this first point, folks, is kind of hard to describe. Many of you here today have gone through incredible times of loss and tragedy Many of you could probably stand up right now and tell of individuals who did that, what we're talking about. They so sympathized with you and maybe they brought you a meal during your time of loss. Maybe they sent you a card. Maybe they sat in a waiting room with you. Maybe they wept when you wept and cried when you cried. See, this is one of the forms of mercy Jesus was talking about here, and it's the kind of behavior that defines those who will live in his kingdom. Hmm. Last week I talked about the story of Jesus and Lazarus, and and I talked about that for a little bit, and and, and my mind went back to it again today. Jesus knew, if you read that account, Jesus knew even before he went into Bethany, Bethany, and he told his disciples, I mean, there was word that came to Jesus, hey, your good friend Lazarus, he's really sick. You need to come, come quick. 
We know that Jesus didn't. And his disciples were perplexed by that. They had no idea what was going on. They were, why are you waiting? And after a while, they said, he's not going to make it much longer. What are you waiting for? And Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. And then Jesus finally told them, Lazarus is dead. Now let's go. And, and so my point was last week is, when Jesus arrived and there was Mary and Martha and, and the whole company of mourners, they were professional mourners back in those days, by the way. They would hire people to come in and actually mourn with the family and cry and weep and wail. And the Word of God tells us that there were people around that may have fit that category. But here's Mary and Martha just weeping. And, and here we see Jesus wept. And I thought to myself, Why? He knew what he was going to do. Why did he weep? Ultimately, we know, as the song says, that there is coming a day when no heartache will come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All will be peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, what a day that will be. We know that day is coming, but until that day comes, life is hard, right? Life is hard. There will be times of pain. There will be times of loss. For not every single one of our difficulties, church, will immediately be resolved with an incredible divine miracle that just gets us out of the mess. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes life is filled with sorrow and pain. And I believe that Jesus knew at that moment, yeah, he knew what he was getting ready to do, but at that moment, I believe Jesus knew that Mary and Martha needed a Savior who could identify with their sorrow. They needed a Savior who would weep when they would weep. Would feel what they feel. Isaiah 53, 4 tells us, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We're told in Hebrews 4, 15-16, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, sympathize, you get that? There's the word, with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Yes, we know that one day Christ is coming back. He's going to come again, and for all of eternity there will be no sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. Praise the Lord. But until that day comes, there will be times when we need a Savior. As I've said many times, Dad and Mom are here with us today. Dad told me this. We need a Savior. Maybe someone here this morning needs a Savior who will sit in the mud with you and will sympathize with what you're going through. Aren't you glad that we have a Savior who does that? I sang a song about a year or two ago. When I cry, he cries. When I weep, he weeps. When I've lost someone, takes a piece of him too. When I fall on my face, he fills us with mercy and grace. 
For nothing breaks his heart or nothing tears him apart like when you and I cry. There is a man that I read a story about. His name is Joseph Damien. I want to read you his story. Anyone who has ever known the darkness of discouragement should be able to identify with that man right there. This man who left his home in Belgium to work among the lepers on the island of Molokai in Hawaii back in 1873. At that time when someone embarked on a mission such as Damien undertook, he didn't come home for vacations or ask for a transfer when he got homesick or discouraged. Before long, Joseph Damien, who was a Catholic missionary, experienced both. Though he tried to make friends with the native islanders, he was rejected and his little chapel was almost empty week after week. Is this what I've come for? Is this what I have spent years in preparation for? He said to himself. For 12 long years, he tried to penetrate the culture and minister effectively to the men and the women whose limbs became horribly deformed with leprosy. When they were desperate enough, the lepers let him dress their sores and provide help. And when they died, he stood over their disfigured remains and prayed. But the living would not allow him to pray for them nor would they listen to what he had to say, and gradually his hopes turned to despair. He finally reached the end of his patience, and that's when he decided to quit. After all, there's a limit to what anyone can endure. He was finished. He was sure that he had given it his best. But his best wasn't good enough. So he made the decision to quit and go home. Biographer Dennis Cohn writes, While standing on the pier about to board the ship that would take him back to Belgium, he looked down at his hands. The white spots he saw could mean only one thing. He had contracted leprosy. So instead of going home, he returned to his work in the leper colony. Did you notice I said in the leper colony. As he turned and slowly walked up the hill, the word spread. Hearts were melted. Now, he was one of them. He understood their pain, their loneliness, their rejection by society. They started coming, some crawling, some hobbling along with help from others, until literally hundreds of people gathered outside of the little hut that was his home. The next Sunday, Joseph Damien went to his little chapel as he had done Sunday after Sunday, but this time it was full to overflowing. They listened to him now as one of them. For a period of Four more years, he gave himself completely to his flock until he was so sick himself to rise from his bed. And on April 15, 1889, he died 
and was buried among his parishioners. That's sympathy, isn't it? That's mercy. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying that we should all leave here this morning and go find an incredibly dangerous occupation out there that we can just find a way to die. That's not what I'm saying. My point on this first half of the message is as Jesus sympathizes with us in our times of difficulty, folks, there will be times when God will so want us to sympathize with others. Maybe there's someone in your life right now that he's calling you to have mercy to. He's calling for you to so sympathize with someone. Times that you'll get right inside of who they are when you will feel what they will feel, when you will think what they think, experience what they experience, times when you will sit in the mud with them and show them the love of Jesus Christ. That is chesed. That is what Jesus said that day on the hillside, perhaps. That's sympathy. That's Christ-like mercy. And that is the first half of this message. It's not possible to talk about mercy without talking about this word right here, though. Forgiveness. Wayne Watson sings a song. says, Grace keeps giving me things I don't deserve. Mercy keeps withholding things I do. Think about that. God's grace has given us salvation, what I don't deserve. But his mercy has withheld things that I do deserve. You know, when I've done something wrong or I've done something stupid to Stephanie, and I come to my senses and I want to make things right with her, what I need from her is mercy. We've all been there. Those times, as I talked about, times when you've desperately needed mercy from someone. Church, at the very least, what Jesus said on the hillside that day, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive, they shall obtain mercy. At the very least, Jesus was telling those, and he's telling us, that if we want to be forgiven, if we want to stay in his good graces or his good mercies, If you want to be one of his children living in his kingdom, we must be people of mercy. We must be people who forgive. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, we must be people who forgive. James 2.13 says, For judgment, and we know who is our judge, God is our judge, says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. How many people today, maybe in here, outside of these walls, how many people today are walking around harboring some kind of anger, some kind of bitterness, some kind of unforgiveness towards another person? Grudges that they're holding on to and they won't let go. And their grudge, their spirit of unforgiveness, their anger, their malice, their bitterness is not just affecting them, but we all know it affects those around. I once spoke with a person 
who was harboring some anger and bitterness towards someone else. And as I had just went to visit this person, another painful incident had just recently happened in their life. And I heard this person say, time after time after time, I have forgiven this person, but no more. I'm done. I'm through. You're right. Look out. I want everyone to turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, starting at verse 21. We'll start with just two verses for now. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. You know, Peter gets a bad rap, doesn't he? Uh, Peter is like a punching bag for those of us in the church, and it's easy for us to kind of pick on Peter. But I'll be honest with you, there's a part of me that I'm glad Peter was the way that he was. Because there's a little bit of Peter in all of us. Say amen or outs to that. And if there is hope for Peter, there's hope for you and me. In this story, I guess you could read into this, but in this story, one might assume that Peter had gotten into another argument with someone. Very well, in my mind, very well could have been one to twelve. I mean, think about who they spent literally 24-7 for three years together with. It was each other. And so who knows, maybe one of the disciples and Peter got into another spat. And perhaps Peter here is trying to impress Jesus. He's wanting to show Jesus just how far he's come in his self-rehabilitation. Trying to look better and not be so impetuous and fly off the handle and trying to rein in his temper and his anger. And so he's trying to impress Jesus and how he's controlling himself. And really what Peter says has some merit. Why do I say that? It was a rabbinic teaching, a rabbinical teaching, that a person was obligated to forgive another up to three times. Here's a rabbinical quote. He who begs forgiveness from his neighbor must not do so more than three times. If an offense is committed a fourth time, they are not to be forgiven. This was the law of the land. This is what the religious elite was saying. Look, you know, you can forgive three times, but after that you're good, you're off the hook. So here we see Peter take those three times, he multiplies them by two, and for good measure he adds one, and he's thinking to himself, surely Jesus is going to be impressed with me. He probably stood pretty straight that day. And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. 
Can you imagine what Peter did whenever Jesus responded back to him? In other words, Jesus was saying Peter. In other words, Jesus was saying John and James and the twelve. In other words, Jesus is saying to the Boris Mill Church of God this morning, there is no limit. There is no exact finite number that I can give you at which you are to forgive. And to emphasize this point, Jesus went on to tell a story, and I want us to read it together. Go back to Matthew 18. We're going to pick up at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, here it is, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's telling them, if you want to be a part of this kingdom, this is what it's like. This is what it's going to take. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as, was, but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment he made, be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he had laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told his master all that he had done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And don't miss this last verse. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. A popular passage, one that many of you have heard many times. Two quick things. One thing's quick. The other one I'm going to spend just a few minutes on. Two things that we can learn here. Simply put, we must forgive in order to be forgiven. Can I put it any more plain than that? It's here that we learn, church, how the divine and the human forgiveness go hand in hand. And those who will not forgive others cannot hope that God will forgive them. That's the first thing that we can learn. The second thing we want to learn this morning kind of piggybacks off of the first. The second thing that we learn is that we cannot forget what God has done for us. I want us to look at this story real quick. The first servant owed his master, did you catch what it said? 10,000 talents. 
get this, a talent was the equivalent of 15 years of wages. Let that sink in. Did you hear that? One talent was the equivalent of 15 years of a working man's wages. I don't know what on earth this servant did to rack up that kind of debt, but there was no way he was going to be able to pay it back. If you, if you kind of measure that out in years, folks, that's, if, if, if that man would have worked for 150,000 years, he still could not have paid back the debt. That's how huge that debt was. The second servant that we see, uh, a denarii or a denarius, that was worth one day's wage. Um, so that's what he owed. He owed a hundred denarius. That is just a mere fraction of what the first servant owned, owed his master. Think of it in terms like this. Biblical scholar A.R.S. Kennedy puts it this way. Take the 10,000 talents and break it down into small coins like nickels and dimes, just for our illustration. He said the small debt of a hundred denarius could be placed into one pocket. Now, take the 10,000 talents. Using the same small change of nickels and dimes, you would need to take 8,600 men, and each of them would carry a 60-pound bag of that coin, of those coins of that change. Then if you put those men in a straight line, one yard apart, their line representing the debt would be five miles long. So here we have five miles of men standing one yard apart, each carrying 60 pounds of debt. And that's what that master forgave of that servant. Jesus gave this story to us to illustrate just how much you and I owe for our sin. We cannot forget what God has done for us. May we never forget what God has done for us. Amen? Amen? Church, there is no way that you and I can ever repay, but praise the Lord that Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become His righteousness. And He's also saying that there is nothing that anyone can do to us that can in any way compare to what we have done to Jesus. No way can it compare to the sin that we brought into this world. It it doesn't even compare. And if God has forgiven us our debt, we must forgive others. Jesus said in our fifth beatitude that when we show this same kind of mercy, we will in return experience His mercy. Our willingness to display mercy helps us to see those around as God sees them. We see the world as those who are lost and in need of the same mercy that we receive. Folks, sometimes, here's just a little bit of a practical advice. 
that I say to myself and I say to you. Church, sometimes we need to look at that person and ask ourselves, what are they going through? Maybe there's a reason why that waitress barked back at us. Get ready. Some of you might experience one of those waitresses or waiters today after church. Maybe there's a good reason why that clerk at Giant Eagle was very rude to you that day. Maybe they're going through something that is so incredibly painful. When we can place ourselves perhaps into their shoes and realize there might be a reason for that. When we can do those things, it's easier to... Uh, control our emotions, and it's also easier to forgive. First Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were naughty people, but now are the people of God, here we go, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Don't forget where you all came from. May I never forget where I came from. We talked earlier about mercy being defined as sympathy, which means getting into someone else's skin. Feeling what they feel. Thinking what they think. Look, is there any more of a picture of this than what God did through His Son, Jesus Christ? The ultimate act of mercy was when God saw my sin and He saw your sin. He looked down from heaven and He saw our helplessness. He saw your hopelessness and your helplessness. And He knew if left to ourselves, we were dead. There was no hope for us. So God became incarnate. You know what that means. What did I tell you? Mercy is getting into someone else's skin. What God did, He became incarnate. His Son, Jesus Christ, took on human flesh. God, through Jesus Christ, got into our skin. That's awesome. What an awesome thought that is. He got into our skin, took our debt, took my place, took your place on the cross that we might be saved. There is nothing that anyone can do to us to where we should not offer forgiveness. Did I say it was easy? No. Depending upon the act, depending upon the pain, it could be years of abuse. I understand that. But I believe it is possible for everyone to get to a place in their life to where they're able to forgive. I'm going to end with this story. Mandy, why don't you come on up? I don't know what song she has picked, but Joyce, if you could come up and get ready and play as well, please. I've told you a couple of times that one of my heroes in the faith, mom and dad know him, uh, Harold Lohman, a great evangelist, and um, he told this story once, and I'll end with it. He received a phone call from a man asking him if he would meet him at the hospital. The man would not give Harold his name, but he said the need was urgent. Harold got ready and he got in his car and he went to the hospital as fast as he could. He went to the ER and there was this man who approached Harold. And he ushered Harold into a side room and asked if he could speak to him. And he said this to Harold Loman. He said, I knew... 
If you knew who I was, you would not come to the hospital. He said, you see, I've listened to your radio program off and on for years, and I've never really liked you. (laughs) He said, I've listened to your preaching. He was a holiness preacher. He said, I've always thought you preached it too strict, too straight, too hard. And he said, I just, I, I grew to not like you. And he said, every opportunity that I could, I tried to destroy you out in public. He said, every chance that I could, I tried to defame your name. And he said, I would lie about you. And Harold told the man, he said, if you've ever done anything to harm me, I never knew anything about it. And he said, how can I help you? The man looked at him with tears in his eyes. And he said, my daughter is in this hospital with a rare disease. And she's in desperate need of a blood transfusion. Without it, she's not going to make it. She has a rare blood type that we found out that you have that same blood type. Harold immediately looked at him and said, where do I need to go? What do I need to do? And Harold said that as he is laying there on the table, giving his blood, this father looked at Harold with tears in his eyes and he said, I don't understand it. He said, why would you do this? He said, after I did all that I did to you, after I tried to destroy you as I lied about you, why would you do this for me? Harold looked back at him and said, Man, have you ever heard of a man named Jesus? (laughs) And he said, I know him. And he began to tell this man what Jesus did for him. How Jesus forgave him of his sins and accepted him into the kingdom. I don't know what ended up happening with that father and the daughter, but What a powerful witness that is, church. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Would you bow your heads, please? My Lord, my God. Jesus, you stood on the mountainside that day. The epitome of mercy. Telling the people that if you want to follow me, you will be merciful and you will so sympathize that it will change your actions and your actions will also be forgiveness. And Jesus, you said those words knowing that not long after that, you would give the ultimate example. Lord, right now I want us all to pause and just think of what you've done for us. Lord, I don't know the spiritual condition of everybody in here. Lord, I'm not going to assume that everyone is where they need to be with you. But God, we all need to acknowledge that we came into this world as sinners. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God, the debt that we owe. Wow. God, if we just pause and contemplate the debt. God, I can't pay it back. 
God, I can't pay you back for what you did for me. But thank you. The 10,000 talents that Brock owed, there is no way I could do it myself. But you paid it for me. You paid it all so that I could have a home, I could be forgiven, so that I could be a child of God. That I could walk through this life with life and life more abundant. Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning that is not walking in that abundant life because they're harboring something. There's bitterness, there's anger. I don't know, God. They need to forgive somebody. God, remind them of what you did for them. And Lord, deal with them and may they be obedient to you this morning. God, we thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. May we never forget it. May we continue to live radically changed lives for you because of what you've done for us. Thank you, God. May we be ambassadors of your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.